this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it is a joy to be able to be here with all of you this morning. Now, I want to start off by telling you a bit of an embarrassing recent happening to me. So, I got a new cell phone over the holidays, and I was carrying around this old cell phone, an old Apple iPhone from three or so years ago. And it was the 5SE. It's the last time they made the really little iPhones. And the only reason I know what generation it was is because the technician at the store had to look it up. (laughs) Everyone I knew made fun of it. And then I kept telling everybody, but it works just fine. Fine. What I wasn't telling everybody is that I constantly carried my phone charger cable around in my purse, trying to soak up every percentage or two of battery juice any second I could spare when I found an outlet nearby. I felt like I started to have x-ray vision of being able to survey a room really fast and find the closest outlet. Then it started getting pretty bad, and I started having some of those external battery chargers, the ones that you can charge separately to hook your cell phone up if you can't find an outlet. And then I started carrying two of them around with me. I constantly felt tethered, anxious, worried about the battery life, And I was afraid that my phone was going to give out in the exact moment that I was going to need it. Isn't that how we live our lives sometimes? Simply in survival mode. Telling everybody, oh, I'm just fine. But trying to find any bits of energy that we can throughout the day. Now, I get it. I have been there, too. Exhausted, burned out, living day to day. All while putting on a happy face and saying, I'm fine, when anyone asks the question, how are you? Or the even worse question that you hear, how do you hold it all together? There are several people chuckling. You know that question. The answer is we don't. None of us do. 
or at least not well, if we're being honest. In my time working in the counseling field, I have found that it is the biggest lie that we are all telling ourselves, that we're fine and we've got it all together. So let me ask you a real question. How is your soul? No, really, we're going to for real ask that question in here today. So take a moment and pause. I mean, I want you to find a comfortable place in the pew. That means you might need to shift around a little bit. It is a pew, for goodness sake. And, and lean back. Maybe it means crossing your legs. Maybe it means uncrossing your legs. Maybe it means wiggling around. And then when you find the right spot, I want you to take a deep breath and close your eyes. And hear the question again. How is your soul? Now pay attention to your body and notice what you feel when I ask that question. Maybe you feel something sinking in your gut. Maybe you feel incredibly peaceful. Maybe you're having trouble sitting still at this moment because the topic hits a little too close to home. And for most of us, the key thing that we're noticing in this moment in our bodies is that the question makes us feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because when we ask, how is your soul, we usually get an answer that we don't expect or one that requires work or an answer that has us admit that we don't have it all together. Feel free to open your eyes now. However, I will not judge you if you listen to the rest of the sermon with your eyes closed, paying attention to how you feel. How often do you stop and think about how your soul is doing? My guess is almost never. And I believe it's a question that we need to be thinking about more often. This series is focusing on the gift of wellness, and when I talk, talk about wellness, we almost always talk about everybody else. Today, I want us to talk about you and the person God created you to be. Our scripture reading this morning came from the very beginning, literally from the beginning. It's the second chapter of the Bible and the beginning of creation. And while we read the NRSV translation in here, and I rarely say this next sentence in my life, I love the King James Version of this verse. So verse 7, hear it now. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Or maybe you're more of a fan of the message translation that says this, God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became alive, a living soul. From that very first breath that God gave us, we became a living soul. 
living. That first word is really important. Living things don't just survive simply because they exist. Okay, think about plants. I'm assuming, I'm not the only one, that at some point has received a plant or purchased a plant, taken this plant, put it in a corner, and promptly forgotten about it. And next thing you know, weeks later, you go back to this plant, and it's half shriveled up on the brink of death. And yet, I'm always surprised by that. Like, why is the plant dying? But what did I expect to happen? That it would just figure out how to live on its own in my house? Plants need sunlight, and they need water, and these elements help them survive. And when they don't get these things, they can easily begin to dry up. So you give them water, and you give them sun, and the plant usually does just fine and can go on living, and you don't get the nickname of a plant killer. But hear me out. What happens when you add fertilizer to the plant? It's often a game changer, right? The plant goes from simply surviving to thriving. Now, because we're all living beings, we have basic needs to survive as well. Some of you may be familiar with the famous psychologist Maslow, who created Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a theory of psychological health in what people need in order to survive and what they need additionally to thrive and be an increased healthy version of themselves. And to survive, we need to make sure that our physical needs are met, food and water, but we also need warmth, rest, and to feel safe. And once those initial needs are met, we can stay alive. But to really thrive and live into who we were created to be, we need much more than that. We need to soul care. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, Lindsay, I've done self-care before. I've gone on vacation. I've taken a bubble bath. I've gone for a run. I've poured an extra glass of wine. You thought I didn't know what you do and claim as self-care? But most of the time, the relief it brings is fleeting. Life should be good, and sometimes we're left feeling weary. And that's because often we don't know where to start. We throw cheap self-care at aspects of our lives and claim it's soul care. It's not. They're often just quick, feel-good attempts at self-soothing physical pleasure. And soul care is learning about what we really need, even if it's hard and uncomfortable, and doing that to be the best versions of ourselves. 
So we need to step back and ask ourselves the question, what do we really need to survive and what do we need to thrive? Taking a deep breath and remembering what things give us life, what fills us up. Now some of you may be sitting in here and thinking, I have no idea. I hear that often. So sometimes figuring it out might involve you bringing somebody else on this journey. Possibly a therapist or a pastor or a close friend to help figure it out. Because soul care isn't about just feeling good. It's about working through the hard things. And sometimes the best way to care for yourself is to find out where the pain is sitting right now. Now, it can be confusing, like I said, of where to start soul care. And so I always suggest starting with the instinctual part of yourself, which is often the physical parts. If something feels off, start with the basics. Make sure you get enough sleep. If the world feels challenging, take a nap. Maybe even eat a meal. It's so much easier to face the world when we are well-rested and well-fed. And those two will make the rest of your life easier to face and address. But we need more than physical care. I mean, sleeping and eating will not make the whole world a better place. We also need to pay attention to our social, our emotional, and our spiritual needs. God creates us to be in relationship with one another. Further along in the Genesis passage, God looks at Adam and says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I don't think that this part of Scripture is him immediately, God saying to, about Adam, everybody needs a spouse. What God is saying is that everybody should not be doing life alone. It's not good for us to wander through life by ourselves. So God created a second person so that Adam would not be alone. We're created to be in relationship with one another. And because of that, we need to pay attention to the social aspects of ourselves. Do we have the relationships and the support that we need to survive? Or do we have the relationships and support we need to thrive? Think about whether you want to be spending more time with people or maybe less time with people if you're more introverted. Make sure you're implementing your needs into your life and addressing what suits you best. On the other hand, our emotional selves can be ignored often. We act like having feelings themselves is a bad thing. It's a beautiful aspect of us being human. 
Even Jesus displays a wide variety of emotions. Emotions in and of themselves are not bad. But a lot of times we need help with our feelings. We might be scared to address them. We might even be not we might even struggle to be able to name them. Or maybe you're experiencing some heavy depression or intense anxiety. We need to pay attention to our mental health needs and make sure we're not just hoping we get better, but actually doing something about it. And finally, our spiritual selves. We spend time in church often talking about spiritual disciplines to help us grow closer to God. And we need to be mindful of when we feel out of sorts simply because we're more disconnected from God. All four of these physical, social, emotional, and spiritual aspects make up our soul. Therefore, when we ask the question, how is your soul, we need to be thinking about all of these and not just a quick fix like a run, a drink, or a bubble bath. Now, did you know that this question, how is your soul, is one that we've actually been wrestling with for centuries? Throughout Scripture, the Psalms especially, there are countless accounts of soul reflection. I love how David writes that either his soul is shouting and magnifying the Lord or his soul is craving something more. I love this because David is very much like us. He wrote a lot of scripture, but he also didn't have it all together. And to be frank, he seems to have almost none of it together and has made some mistakes and messed up. He's made horrible choices and isn't living into who God created him to be. And it gets so bad that it has to be brought to his attention from an outside person. Sometimes we don't see how unhealthy we are and need someone else to tell us and help us. Even David got this help. Like I said, it's been a question that we've been asking for centuries. It's a question that John Wesley loved to have us think about. He encouraged us to spend more time reflecting on. He had these Bible studies called the Holy Clubs, where they routinely got together to examine themselves and make sure that they were living as God had called them to do. This sounds like a laid-back Bible study to me. And Wesley... I mean, to be fair, he was a bit intense at times, in all the best ways, was not satisfied with superficial conversation. He didn't want a group of people that would sit around and simply ask, how are you? Which we can attest to usually results in one of three answers, good, fine, or busy. Which busy always confuses me because it's not even close to a feeling word. 
So Wesley would open each of these holy club meetings by asking a bit more formally, how is it with your soul? He didn't want the easy answers. He wanted a serious examination of how you were doing and to share it with one another to encourage and hold each other accountable. Wesley saw this as critical to our faith and ministry because if our soul is not healthy, then we're not producing fruit and giving to others. So to be able to pour outward, we first need to be healthy inward. Now I get it, soul care can feel incredibly selfish. We've been taught in church for years and years to put others first, to serve them first. You might have even heard the acronym over the years, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. That's supposed to remind us of the order of our priorities, but with others always before ourselves, we can start serving people to the point of exhaustion, or we're using our service for others as an unhealthy avoidance of taking care and addressing our own needs. But putting other people before ourselves, funny enough, is not exactly how Jesus showed us to act. My favorite example of Jesus practicing soul care is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And what I love about this particular story is it shows how Jesus himself had to work at soul care. Now you'll find the story in all of the Gospels, but my favorite version is at the beginning of John 6. It begins with Jesus noticing a large crowd following him, and instead of immediately engaging with this large crowd, he goes up the mountain with his disciples and takes some time apart with them. Time apart from the large crowd in a smaller group. Jesus isn't on all the time. He knows which people to spend time with to fill his soul. The disciples were that to him. Jesus is taking apart, time apart with the disciples when, the, when they notice a problem in the crowd. There are hungry people and not enough food. And instead of Jesus jumping in, solving it right away, and doing all of the work, he asks Philip, what do you think we should do? I love that Jesus does not come in and do it all himself in this moment. He includes other peoples. He asks other people for help. He then gives directives to the disciples on how to feed everybody. And when the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is over, Jesus looks at the large crowd and takes himself up the mountain by himself to retreat. Jesus knew what his soul needed. It needed a break from being in charge and doing all the work. It needed quiet time. In a lot of ways, when I read scripture, 
it reminds me that I wonder if Jesus was more of an introvert and simply knew it and claimed it. What does your soul need? And are you creating space for that? Soul care is both about paying attention to the things that fill you up, people, activities, hobbies, time with God, and things that use your energy and make it harder to fill up. An unhealthy relationship, a toxic work environment, maybe it's your anxiety or depression that used to loom at the edges of your life, but is now taking a bit of a stronger presence. You don't need to name these things alone. Find a therapist. Talk to your pastors. Have a friend who will regularly ask you how is your soul and really want to hear the answer. David did the hard work. He journaled through the Psalms, returning to something that he loved, He fasted and worshiped the Lord in his way through repentance. He faced his pain for his soul to be restored to healthy wholeness. Soul care is not optional. We were created as living souls for a reason. God intentionally breathed into us and made us living beings. And it's honoring to God to take care of our souls. Or maybe think of it this way. The act of soul care is worshipful. How are you going to serve God well by taking care of your soul this week? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing the closing hymn.